Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Final four week is here. Basketball and hockey playoffs are right around the corner, and it's baseball opening day. Whether you root for San Diego, Atlanta, Houston, or Los Angeles, BetOnline Sportsbook has all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for you during this massive week of sports. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome Welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live. On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It's a fantabulous March 30th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever you may be listening... Today on the Take It Easy podcast, we have got our friend Walter Mitchell here for a power hour. Today's episode is taken from episode 98 of our podcast, The Red Rain Podcast, hosted by Walter Mitchell, produced by Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter. That podcast is available in full wherever you get podcasts. There's links in the description to this episode for the show, and we ended up talking a bit about DeAndre Hopkins and... The Lamar Jackson situation, Walter had some thoughts about Isaiah Simmons and the Arizona Cardinals linebacking unit. We bring that to the show today. It's a a shorter version of the show, so if you want the full, in-depth Arizona Cardinal breakdown, Walter's got an hour and a half worth of podcasts for you. We're going to play like 40 minutes of that show today because there's some interesting talking points with Lamar Jackson I wanted to share. And we recorded the show Wednesday morning. I'm working a Sacramento Kings game tonight, and so I thought it would be nice to share Walter and Mai's conversation instead of bringing something new to the table, researched and prepared, or something to that effect, because we did a really good conversation before, and it's worth sharing. I mentioned the Sacramento Kings earlier, and obviously I live here in Sacramento. This is my first year post-college working in professional sports. I mean, obviously we've been doing this podcast for four years almost now, and so obviously during college this podcast was a way to be uh, practice sports talk stuff, get repetitions in, and working for and around the Sacramento Kings has been an incredibly exciting experience because you have a basketball team that after 17 years clinched the playoffs for the first time, and they're clinching the playoffs 
by the time you've heard this, they've clinched. Wednesday night, they clinched a playoff spot. They had a chance to do it Monday. It was a celebration in Sacramento. Everyone was getting all the feels. They were calling it Clinchmas or Cinco de Clincho or whatever else you wanted to call it. It was clinch day in Sacramento. They didn't clinch. Now, Wednesday night, they officially locked up a playoff spot that we've known for a couple months was going to be an inevitability. And seeing everyone in Sacramento get excited about clinching the playoffs and seeing the players respond to the season that they've had has been super interesting to watch because it's a unique sports situation. The 16 years of missing the playoffs is at the time the longest playoff drought in North American professional sports. It is the longest playoff drought in the history of the National Basketball Association. This is a city who, if you know the story, had to fight to keep their team at the one-yard line from being sold to a group based out of Seattle that would have moved the team to Seattle, and ultimately they saved the team, got a new stadium, and even though public dollars are going into building that facility and paying for that facility, it is Sacramento's only professional sports team, and I understand the desire to have that team around the Sacramento area and the lives that it genuinely affects, because not only is this the only Sacramento team, it is the only team Sacramento will ever get in regards to a professional sports, major professional sports team. I mean, they have a they have a second-tier soccer team that might become an MLS team soon, and maybe if the Kings had left, there would have been more of an incentive to bring an MLS team to Sacramento. It is their only professional sports team and would have been the only major sports team to ever come to Sacramento. And so to keep basketball in Sacramento and now have that payoff of making the playoff after 17 years has been very interesting to watch and I'm very excited for the playoff run getting to be around it and once we go into full NBA playoff mode which I'm guessing is going to be sometime in April probably next week I would guess because we've got a mock draft tomorrow we're going to go into the weekend San Diego State will have played the final four by then we'll have another mock draft all that stuff by that point, I will say we probably go all the way into basketball. We've done like six basketball podcasts talking about each of the teams at the top, Denver Nuggets, Boston Celtics. We went through the SRS rankings and found the definitive marks. We we talked to Leva Cabas about the rise in offensive firepower in the league this year and trade deadline stuff. Obviously, we talked about Durant and Kyrie and all the stuff around that. So we've done a lot of basketball stuff. Right around April is when we dive all the way into basketball, and I've talked about this before. I am so goddamn excited for basketball playoffs this year. So the Sacramento Kings clinched. It's been a super cool story to follow, and I'm very, very excited for what is to come here in Sacramento and during the NBA playoffs because you've got, I mean, if Zion Williamson comes back, you've got the 10 best players in the NBA all playing for different teams and outside of the top four, some pretty deep, fun matchups that could go either way up and down the first two rounds of the West of the West and Eastern Conference playoffs. So very excited to watch that happen. We'll get back to basketball next week. Now let's turn it over to Walter Mitchell to talk about some of the pressing storylines going on in the NFL. What's happening with DeAndre Hopkins? What's happening with Lamar Jackson? All of that and more here today on the Walter Mitchell Take It Easy Podcast Power Hour.
Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Kyle, what would you do if you were the Cardinals? If 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 Hopkins just uh, doesn't get offered, I mean, if there's no trade and you're the Cardinals GM, brand new GM, what are you going to do? Well, it sounds like I would weigh the financial savings or losses against what compensation you could get because the Cardinals essentially right now have what is it? Uh, $20 million in cap space at this point and don't look yeah. like they plan to use it in any meaningful way right now. And so if you're going to go into the season with free cap space, I would do what uh, teams have done in the past where you essentially buy draft picks. So if you're willing to absorb $7 million of Hopkins contract in exchange for a fourth round pick, I would probably do that. It doesn't, right. If you really don't want him around, you can always outright waive him, and it's not that difficult to cut him and let him sign a one-year prove-it deal somewhere. But it seems like you're better off getting the draft pick or picks right. in exchange for taking some money on the cap. It, it doesn't right. make sense to just get rid of him just to save the money because right. money's not really a concern right now. Right. So what if the draft comes and goes and there's no trade what do you do then well i just don't know who the partner is anymore because it seems like they've negotiated with all the teams they can't agree on compensation and money so unless the team comes to focus i would just go ahead and outright cut him because it seems like everyone wants to move on and like you talked right. about there's not much of a reason to keep it going i mean when it was Patrick Peterson and Chandler Jones, they could have gotten either first round picks or high draft picks in those situations. And they kept them together for one more year. So in this case, if the league is telling you he doesn't have value and you don't really want him going into next season, just go ahead and outright cut him around May. Uh, I think that the best comparison for this is uh, when the Falcons were trying to move off of Julio Jones a couple of years ago where it kind of dragged out for like four to six weeks and they were just waiting to see if they could get a trade. They ultimately got it. The Titans gave up, I think, a second rounder and a a day three pick swap or something like that. And while it was a bad trade for the Titans, I don't think the Titans regret making that move. I think they needed a wide receiver. It just didn't work out. So uh, it'll go on probably into May if they can't get someone to to meet their value on a trade i'd say around otas maybe a little bit after that they'll just they'll go ahead and cut him yeah okay uh and um of course none of us wants that i mean i i agree with you i think you try to get whatever you can for him at this point and then do the best with what you get so um yeah. Even paying $7 million for a fourth round pick is not the worst idea in the world. I know it sounds counterintuitive from the get go or from just the surface level, but paying extra money in his contract to get draft picks is not a bad idea at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if there's a guy you're looking at in the fourth round you really want. <laughs> 
which is fascinating to me is, I mean, Gannon was talking yesterday about Isaiah Simmons and how they're, you know, they're, they're think they have a role in mind for Simmons, but they want to make sure that it matches up with what Simmons thinks he can do. And, and I, what I'm so impressed about Gannon too, is what he said about the, the free agents they signed was that first of all, you don't win games in free agency. I thought well, that was a great line. And then second of all was that he really likes all the guys that they signed and he made it crystal clear to them why they were being signed and what their roles will be and what's expected of them coming in and what kind of a teammate they want them to be. I mean, he's laid it all out for these guys. And I think that it, the communication that's going on from Gannon, from Monty Austin Fort, Dave Sears, et cetera, um, down to Gannon and through the staff, I think is the most impressive I've seen in quite some time. I mean, they truly are lined up, um, lining things up and, and are all in on a, on a shared philosophy of communication more than anything else, particularly direct communication with the players. That is so refreshing to me to hear him say how he's given each one of these free agents a roadmap as to how to hit the ground running in Arizona. I think that is so impressive. And that's what gives me hope. I mean, these, a lot of these signings are under the radar, but you can see why they, you know, they were handpicked by the Cardinals um, because of the things that they can bring to the table. And a lot of them like Kevin Strong, the, the defensive interior tackle from, um, from the Titans is, is a player that is, you know, as a run stuffer, that's his forte. That's what you want. You want certain guys who can fill certain roles. And I've watched him on tape and he is very stout against the run and he's athletic too. I mean, he's not just a tree stump clogging up space in there. He he's uh he, he's chiseled. I mean, he can get after it. So, you know, you want guys who to embrace their roles and, you know, when everyone's playing their role to the best of their abilities, you have a chance to win. And I'm just so impressed. And now the big question is Isaiah and, you know, um, and also uh, Gannon has said, we're not going to lock into a base defense. Um, we're going to cater to the strengths of our personnel, whatever that means. And, um, um, Guys having a great back and forth. One of our, you know, esteemed um, <clears throat> uh, members at ROTB. We were talking about the Hassanic, the Hassan Reddick role with Gannon. And Spike, um, uh, Spike is awesome, um, and he was talking about how he just saw Gannon using. Um, Reddick is primarily an edge rusher and not what you would normally consider an outside linebacker having to cover and do all those other things. Um, and so I looked up the numbers and yeah, 512 rushes and 66 um, pass coverages was the ratio. And I think that, um, I think that Spike and I both agree that uh, Will Anderson would be tailor made for that role. And um, you know, he does he he rushed 
Reddick from a wide nine, a wide five. I mean, also he, he, you know, Gannon would put the strong safety to Reddick's side so that he wouldn't have to cover. The safety could could take coverage in that situation, both in zone and man. Um, so he tilted, you know, he, he widened out Ren Reddick and sent him. Um, and boy, will Anderson be made to order because that's the way Anderson was playing at Alabama too, and Spike was was uh, very um, smart in, in pointing that out. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, whatever the, the front is, I think that's going to be the role if, if Anderson comes in. And then if Anderson comes in, I mean, with Collins in the middle and Kaiser White, who was the cover linebacker um, and did it really well. I mean, he was in covers like, I think, I think it was 500 plus coverages he did uh, for the Eagles and did, did really well in that role. Um, cause he's a former strong safety who's turned line, you know, modern day linebacker. He's got coverage skills and he's a good tackler. Um, so it's like playing with an extra strong safety in the box, um, and in the flats. So, but, uh, but what happens then is, is with Isaiah, because as of right now, I would think they'd play Isaiah in that, in that role, the Reddick role which I think he could be really good at. I mean, there's so many things he could be really good at. Um, but if you take a Will, a Will Anderson Jr., what happens to Reddick? And the interesting thing for me is I could see JG thinking, you know, that um, he could get safety play out of out of Isaiah like he did with the safeties in, in – um, in Philadelphia um, and where he likes to interchange his safeties, pull them up and, you know, and, and then back them off as deep safeties. I mean, Isaiah, I think is built for that role very well. The question then becomes, well, what, what about Buddha and Jalen? I mean, I think Buddha is going to play in the box and should play in the box or near the box. And then, uh, with Jalen, I my plan would be with him is to move him over to corner. I think he'd be good there, um, especially especially in their system. And, and Jalen's, you know, a good uh, man to man cover, not out of the slot, but on the perimeter. He's he's good, and he's a baller. He'll come up and hit people and run force and screens on his side. So, you know, there's some creative things they could do. Um, and I think the Cardinals will play a lot of situational football with three safeties. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a Gannon, I think will employ those guys and, and rotate them around really well. Um, but we could use the help at corner. So, you know, I mean, Isaiah, it's going to be interesting to see what Gannon's got in mind for, for Isaiah and he did let out that uh, Isaiah's feeling healthy now. I guess the shoulder injury was more extensive than we thought. Um, let that cat out of the bag a little bit. Uh, and that's good news. So, yeah, um, I think bright days are ahead for Isaiah Simmons in this off in this defense. Um, given Gannon's productivity with safeties and outside linebackers, Um you know, and the kind of roles that he gives them and the flexibility that he has with them, I think is, is going to line up really well.
So, um, but uh, what are, it's, I hope the Cardinals pick up Isaiah's fifth-year option. I think he's a keeper. Um, and I think he's going to thrive in this defense, whatever the role is, uh, whatever his role is. I think it'll be more specific for Isaiah than ever before, which is encouraging to me. This is what Gannon's all about. It's, it's getting the role specific and then honing in. I don't think you can see Isaiah bouncing around to too many spots anymore. He'll be given a specific role. And, and I think it'll be one of the safety spots more than likely. And, you know, he's going to go inside, outside, and play a lot of free safety where he can use his speed and range to get to balls that Cardinals haven't been getting to um, for years now. We've not had a, a true center fielder uh, in pass coverage. And that is so exciting to me to think of him back there uh, making his presence felt. So um, I think a lot of good things are happening, um, even though they're subtle. And, you know, that I know fans are restless about the Cardinals not signing big-name free agents. But I like the ones that they do. I think they all of these guys, as Gannon said, have been signed with a purpose. And you know what? You've, you, you're building depth. And, you know, at, at key spots. And I think that's really important. And now it sets up the draft to kind of get, get some star power. Um, that's where they're going to get it. Um, so it looks like got- Simmons' fifth-year option is $12.7 million. There's 90, 97% chance they pick up that option. There's no way they'll let that option. They'll decline that. Yeah. I mean, and plus with the Reddick mistake, they can't afford another... Um, you know, another debacle like that. So, yeah, I think you're right, and I hope you're right. Um, but I just I'm going like, to say 97 percent, 97 percent sure that they're going to pick up that fifth year option. Well, I like those odds, so I'm going to double down on that, and um, I'm I'm all for it. And you know, there's going to be, I think, a breakout year for Isaiah. I think he's going to be used in ways that finally suit his talents best. And I think he'll know his role and there won't be any guessing anymore. And that's what Reddick needed and got, and look where he is. I think it's time to give Isaiah that and, uh, you know, let him go to work. So uh, it's going to be exciting to watch. It's going to be a brand new um, bit of defensive football from the Cardinals here. I think they're going to add some real talent to that defense in the draft. And, uh, yeah, which is only, was it, four weeks away from tomorrow? So, woo, getting close. And, you know, four more weeks of agonizing mocks. <laughs> but maybe the uh, Cardinals will make a trade sometime in the next week. You think? I, they could if they if I'm I don't know what teams are going to offer that's going to blow them out of the water compared to what they've already been receiving. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's always an interesting. I mean, uh, Monty Ford hasn't made a trade yet, and be interested to see what his very first trade is. Um, yeah, I I don't imagine the team who's like, well, we haven't been interested in trading up to three yet, but now all of a sudden we're going to give up you know, two or three premium picks to do it. I imagine the offers on the table are pretty close to 
what they're going to get. Yeah, could be. And um, there's a lot of discussion about teams moving up to three. And we'll see. And, you know, Kyle, while I have you, let's just do a quick thing on Lamar. Your take on Lamar. What the frick? I don't know what is going on here. I've said before it's collusion, but it's the collusion you can't prove in court. So it's not like they're going to be able to sue the NFL over this. I mean, the the Arthur Blank quote yesterday was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Jim Ursay was talking at the owners meeting and talked about as an owner, I don't like the precedent of guaranteed contracts, which all this language suggests everyone kind of has a, I don't want to be that person who makes the other owners angry because uh, kind of a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me situation is kind of happening here where nobody's going to do the fully guaranteed contract. And even even if it's not 230 million, it's it's going to be somewhere in the 200 million range for Lamar Jackson, for whoever pays him. And I just doesn't seem like anyone wants to go for it at this point. So I I don't know what's going on there. I'm I'm amazed that teams are just not even trying. Like the Raiders signing Jimmy Garoppolo. Like th- th- you're not even trying if you're going to get Garoppolo and pass on Lamar Jackson being available. Like they're the Raiders so they'll probably lose either way, but at least you could try <laughs> with Lamar. <laughs> like signing Jimmy Garoppolo and doing nothing else, uh, also trading Darren Waller. Like signing Garoppolo and trading Darren Waller tells me you're kind of retooling and I just, you're not even trying to win at that point. And uh, the Falcons are just not even trying to win at this point. If they're like, we're committed to Desmond Ritter, as Arthur Smith said, I I mean, I know you like Ritter and I know he's going to get a chance to be their cheap quarterback option, but (coughs) I, I just, I don't understand that The, the Patriots, they could get in the game, but it seems like they want to try one more year with Mac Jones. I, I, the Colts are the team that makes sense, but Ursay's not, doesn't want to give the guaranteed deal. It's just the whole, the whole thing is kind of wild and crazy. And, uh, it's probably going to drag out well into the summer. Well, all the red flags are just waving in the breeze. I mean, here's a guy who was, couldn't finish. The last two years basically takes off. Um, he's mercurial. Um, you know, he's had this off and on again relationship with, with the Ravens front office. Um, he doesn't have a lawyer, uh, an agent. Um, he's kind of, you know, a maverick. Um, has a lavish um, late night lifestyle at the club. He's in the club, man. 50 cent he's in the club reportedly like four or five nights a week um and uh whooping it up till three four o'clock in the morning now i mean there's guys who've been doing that for years and still are great at what they do um so i mean that's not i mean i went to my share fair share of clubs in my day but i wasn't a franchise quarterback (laughs) Um, either, but, um, you know, but, (laughs) and, uh, but there's those, there's something about Lamar that makes you nervous. Doesn't it, Kyle? Doesn't it? There's something about Lamar that 
does it smack to you as a sure thing? I don't think there is a sure thing in the NFL. And the thing that makes me angry is that the value system is saying a player who has an off again, on again, injury history, who doesn't represent himself is, is somehow less desirable than someone with two torn ACLs and a repeated documented history of being a sexual predator. Like I, I don't understand the value system on this where an off season ago, teams are lined up for Watson. And then now it's Arthur Blank's statement was absolutely ridiculous talking about Lamar Jackson and his injury history. Every game matters when, if you want to put aside the team moved on from its 15 year hall of not hall of fame, all time, but he'll be in their Hall of Fame and have their jersey retired. Matt Ryan moved on from him and were willing to do so for the sexual predator coming out of Houston. When now that who also has two torn ACLs in his past, people forget that part of the injury history. And now they're just unwilling to move on Lamar Jackson, just sounds absolutely ridiculous. There's no way that the entire league can move in a span of 12 months from that end of the spectrum to now no one wants to touch Lamar Jackson, a former MVP with a 10 foot pole. Well, because of the, the price tag and, Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, you, you got to make the commitment that Lamar wants. And, you know, I, there are enough red flags there would make me nervous. I think there is a sure thing. He's called Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) <laughs> I think that, that Joe Burrow is a sure thing. I think that Justin Herbert is a sure thing. I think there are young guys coming through the ranks. I think that that uh, Jalen Hurts is a sure thing. I mean, these guys are ballers, and they're they, you know, but they got to take that next step. Except for Mahomes, I mean, Mahomes is a finisher. He is a finisher. I mean, that's what you got to be in this league. And look at what it took for him to finish this year playing through and uh, such a painful and, and often really limiting um, injury as a high ankle sprain and just bawling out. I mean, this is what it, I mean, you have to have the endurance to be at the peak part of your game in January and February. And Lamar has yet to do that. Kyler Murray has yet to do that. I mean, there are a number of people who have yet to do that um, that are commanding. I mean, Watson has yet to do that. I mean, there are a lot of these quarterbacks that, you know, haven't been able to finish and, um, you know, but they're, they're demanding top salaries. So the part that I do agree with you on is Lamar's going to have to come down from the 230.5 million yeah. guaranteed. But he doesn't have to go below one. What is it? One seventy-five that Russell Wilson got, or the one seventy yeah. that Kyler got. He's going to be somewhere in the middle there. I think it's going to be over two hundred million over five years, or whatever the uh-huh. average annual value would be if it's a six or seven year or a four year con. Whatever the number would be based on average annual value. I think if it's a five year deal, he'll get two hundred million guaranteed. It's just kind of in between on where what team is going to be the one that steps up and how long it's going to take to to negotiate that out because 
if Lamar Jackson is not a sure thing, then I would argue that only Patrick Mahomes is a sure thing. If we're, if we're saying Lamar is not a sure thing at this point. And uh, even even Joe Burrow is not a sure thing in this conversation because oh I don't I don't think I think Joe Burrow's head and shoulders way above Lamar way oh above. oh I I think that Burrow has proven to be consistently as good if not better than Lamar Jackson the the flip side on Burrow is he has a surgically reconstructed knee from two years ago that yeah, obviously never- should be a concern. Yeah, but you'd never know it watching him play and look at how he bounced back from that. I mean, hardly flinching. So, but but, but Lamar uh, Jackson hasn't had such an injury. I mean, he had the the knee sprain this year that I'm sure he'll be fine from once the season comes back. But I yeah, he's had leg injuries that have knocked him out the last two seasons. Yeah, and ankle he, and then, knee injuries. Yeah, and then he disappears. Like every week, it's like, can he play this week? No. As he, you know, he disappears. I, I, I just think that he's too much of a me player, and um, it's just not going to work. I, I can't imagine him ever winning a Super Bowl ever. Um, and you know, I can't. And here's the other thing: is that no one has, you know, these dual threat quarterbacks don't tend to lie. They're like running backs. The the shelf life on them are like, you know. Just ask Michael Vick. I mean, the shelf life is shorter as a quarterback for dual threat guys. And, you know, who's a dual threat guy who's won a Super Bowl? I mean, it would have been. Other than Mahomes. Hurts. Well, Mahomes is, you know. Yeah, Mahomes is Mahomes. Mobility, but he's not, (laughs) you know, they're not running, you know read options with Mahomes on a regular basis. Or, well, they used yeah. to until he got hurt in that scrum against Denver, and they were like, we can't risk running him correct. in these plays. But yes, but you are correct. Mahomes and, has the package of skills where you don't have to resort to that. And Yeah, I mean, signing know. Lamar Jackson doesn't guarantee that you're going to win. The thing that I'm amazed by is just no one even wants to try. <laughs> like Atlanta's not even trying if they don't want to get low. Like the Raiders well, aren't even trying if they yeah. don't want to go for it. Like no one even wants to try and win a championship with Lamar Jackson. I mean, sure, it's not a guarantee. Just I'm amazed no one even wants to try it because well, we, we don't really know. Good. We don't know who's offering what or what the interest is. I mean, the, I think the Ravens have had you know, a motive to stifle any interest that they've gotten because they want to keep them. But um, we don't know what, what kind of interest he's getting. However, I mean, this is where, I mean, I've been debating this with Cardinal fans and pundits for the last two years was that this, well, this is what you pay franchise quarterbacks. And, you know, yeah, but I mean, and look at the Kyler scenario. I think that, owners and GMs and coaches around the league are looking at that and going like, that's the last thing we could ever want is to be stuck on a contract like that with a guy that we now are not sure he's even a a franchise quarterback because he can't hold up. If you can't hold up and can't play, you can't help the club from the tub. I mean, that's for one thing. And then the, you know, the kind of, antics that go with it. I mean, Lamar Jackson is an eccentric dude. I mean, he just kind of does his own thing. He's, 
you know, I think he's a great teammate and everything. The teammates love him and all. But, man, he disappears. And, you know, I, that makes me nervous, um, you know, that, that how that's happened with him the last couple of years. And he plays things so coy. I mean, it just seems like, you know, um, it's hard to invest that kind of commitment, financial commitment in someone that you just doesn't, you have this resounding kind of, you know, aura that he's probably as good as, you know, anyone that could do it. Um, I'd say right now in the NFL, there are 10 quarterbacks I think you'd rather have than Lamar, um, to tell you the truth. Uh, it's probably as many as that, um, or would be just as happy with having, and um, because of the way the talent has evolved at the quarterback position. I mean, let me ask you this, as we'll finish on this note. If you're given the opportunity to, let's say, you had a fantasy team and you had the first round pick of quarterbacks and the picks came up, you could have your choice between Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson. Who are you taking? Uh, so I guess in this scenario, that would mean Mahomes is gone. Right. Uh, Burrow's right. gone. Josh Allen's Correct. gone. Correct. Herbert's probably gone. I would call it a push. I I think I'm good either way between Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson. Uh, I, well, it's tough because Jalen Hurts is younger. I'm going to call it a push. I think I would take both equally. I'm, I wouldn't, I think that it's, the difference between them is basically five and six best quarterback in the NFL. And at that point, it's just personal preference. Yeah. Well, you know, my answer, I know your personal preference would probably be Jalen hurts. Why? Well, you like the leadership aspects. You like the, you know, being willing to sit down and take and play a role. And then once your opportunity comes and the support around it, I, I know how much you love Jalen Hurts, and I think all of that is very fair. Uh, from a from a football acumen standpoint, I think that they are both what I would call tier two quarterbacks uh, right there with the the Josh Allens, the Herberts, the uh, even Trevor Lawrence's to a certain extent. And yeah, I, I would uh, I understand picking Jalen Hurts and I understand picking Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Well, with Hertz, I think he's the adult in the room. I think that, you know, you can bank on his commitment, um, his the way to his ability to galvanize a team, his humility and humbleness, his uh, motivation, his dedication, his discipline. And it's just, you know, that kind of leadership at that position is invaluable. I mean, it, here we are, you know, a year and a half ago, if anyone heard us talking about this, they'd be laughing in our faces. But he's since then proved to people that, you know, and he was a second round pick. I mean, unbelievable. So, I mean, he's proved to people that, you know, he is a, you know, a force to be reckoned with because of his, his sheer dedication and, and ability to lead and, how he's worked so diligently on his craft. 
I mean, look at how the way he's throwing the ball now. Look at the look at what he's doing. Um, which, you know, year and a half ago, you wondered if if he even belonged in the NFL, perhaps. And now look at this. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great debate, and um, you know, I I think that the Ravens are kind of in this similar situation as the Cardinals were. The only difference is is that. Lamar just came out and said he wants to be traded. Kyler never came out directly and said it. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's created a firestorm and we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think that the Ravens should move on from him and they're smart. They could get that four number four pick. Um, I think they've got a good enough rest of the team that if they get a good quarterback in place who's dependable and is a leader, um, you know, they could go places. But uh, um, but Lamar, I mean, this this whole thing is just – once the player asks to be traded, I think it's a done deal. I mean, I, I think it's now inevitable. But the Ravens probably won't play it that way just as the Cardinals didn't. And, you know, they're playing the same in the Cardinals. We love Lamar. Oh, my God, he's the best. And I'm I'm looking for coaching, looking to coach him for years to come. And we're, you know, um, well, if you love him that much, you're not going to, you know, meet his number. Then, you know, this is going to – it's what it comes down to is the basic standoff. It holds the whole, you know, um, organization, you know, sort of – in a, a holding pattern and a, you know, and it, this may cost the Ravens this next season, the way it costs. Oh, for sure. For sure. This is going to be detrimental to the Ravens, no matter how it ends. Lamar comes yeah. back. Lamar doesn't, this is going to be, uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to go to the bottom of the draft. It just means that this is going to take them out of contention for a little bit because as much as as much as they're ready to move on from Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson's don't grow on trees. They're not going to be able to plug right. in a quarterback and be able to get the same production. Clearly, right. we saw we saw what Huntley and Brown tried to do last year. Clearly, they're not going to be able to just plug in a quarterback and get the same production and go back to the playoffs. It's it's going to be right. a step down and a retool if they are moving on from Lamar Jackson. Well, I'll tell you what. If they love this style of play, I mean, there's a guy named Anthony Richardson sitting there. Um, or if they want to go with the college gunslinger, they've taught him Todd Munkin, you know, Will Levis, um, or Hendon Hooker. I mean, you got Hooker. A Hooker players. makes a lot of sense. He really does. And uh, I think he's going to be a first round pick, by the way. <laughs> I really do. I think I I agree with you on the idea. Yeah, I agree with you on the idea. I just don't know the team. I just can't find the team that would pick him late in the first round. Yeah, and I think we'll be surprised, Kyle, because I think some team's going to trade up to get him. You know, trade out of the second round up towards the end of the first round, so they get him on the the five-year deal. Um, and uh, but I mean, he, he his tape's too good. If he didn't have the knee injury, he'd be right up there in the discussion anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's a decent chance. I mean, uh, Mike Lombardi yesterday, 
um, mocked him to the Seahawks at five. Hendon Hooker. Yep. Oh, yeah. That would be that would be and different. You, when you think about that, look what Geno Smith's doing in that offense. Hendon Hooker. I mean, I think that's a brilliant, brilliant slot for Hooker in that offense. I mean, he's Geno with a, you know, more accurate arm. I mean, and Geno has played great this year. But, you know, uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling that Hooker's going to make his way up boards and, and we'll see him on day one uh, of that draft. Well, if, if the Seahawks are looking for a quarterback like that, I'd recommend just taking the five pick and giving it to Baltimore for Lamar Jackson. <laughs> wow. Pete Carroll. And, oh, I can't see that. Don't <laughs> you don't want to see that. I don't, think, I don't think they, no, I, I mean, no, but, but I would, if he's out every, every December, I'll take that anytime. Um, so, but yeah, I can't see John Schneider committing that kind of money to, to Lamar. That'd be bizarre. And Pete Carroll with Lamar. I, I can't, can you imagine that Pete Carroll with Lamar? I think people underestimate Lamar's throwing ability, but it would be a different offense than what they ran with Gino, obviously, because Lamar Jackson does different things. Um, yeah, Lamar Jackson no, I, can throw the ball at least. It's not like he's a one oh, yeah. quarterback. Oh no, he's worked on it too, and he's improved. And you know, I don't shortchange him there, but he's yet to really run an NFL style passing offense either. I mean, he's very. But why? Yeah. Why would he run an NFL style passing offense when he's Lamar Jackson? <laughs> well, and why then did you hire Todd Munkin? So. That's a great question. I think, think they want to evolve. I know that Hollywood Brown left Baltimore saying like this offense is not wide receiver friendly. And he's right. It's not. So if you're a wide receiver, why would you want to come to Baltimore and play in that offense? That's why they've been struggling at wide receiver the whole time. I mean, they just signed Nelson Aguilar. I mean, that's their big wide receiver signing. I mean, still waiting on Rashad um, Bateman's breakout. Correct. And he's had injuries. So, but, uh, but thanks, Kyle. Uh, your input is always uh, a feature on the show. And, you know, I wish you a great week with your sac- Sacramento Kings. Don't you have a game tonight? We do have a game tonight. And, uh, yeah. It- I either the uh, the Clippers or the Timberwolves will lose before then, and the the Kings will clinch a playoff spot, or they win tonight and they clinch a playoff spot for the first time in seventeen years. Woo, baby! Uh, you've converted me as a fan, as a Western. You know, my <laughs> Hawks are my my top team, but but because you now have Herber. <laughs> And you're you're doing so well in the West. I'm going to be rooting for them in the West. And, yeah, if, uh, if any Cardinals fans out there looking for a basketball team this year, the Sacramento Kings and the Arizona Cardinals have very similar energy going on. Franchises that don't have a whole lot of success except for like a little eight-year period in the 2000s. 
uh, Kings and Cardinals fans, we we've got a lot in common. So jump on that Sacramento Kings bandwagon. No, the Cardinal fans will never do that. They're they're blinded by the Suns. So <laughs> and Kevin Durant, baby, Kevin Durant is back, back for more. So you know the the uh, yeah, they're not going up to sack. <laughs> <laughs> if I, just say if any if any Cardinals fans out there are trying to get interested uh, in basketball, Sacramento's looking for fans. <laughs> Forget about it, man. But me, I'm you know. I can, I like the Suns too, but I, I, I really appreciate this. I love underdogs and this Sacramento team has really been, been balling all year. And I really like that team. I like their chemistry. I like their style. So, and I think you have a lot to do with it, man. You're bringing, I mean, look at your San Diego state Aztecs. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Look what you're doing. Look at that year one, year one in Sacramento, the Kings break their curse the San Diego Padres beat the best Dodger team of all time last year. It was the greatest Correct. moment of my sports lifetime. And yep. now San Diego's in the final four. I've had a, a more sports success in seven months than my entire, <laughs> entire life before this. And your book on the, on the uh, Sac- San Antonio Spurs just came out. This is and, also uh, true. Yeah. You, I wrote a book. You're, you're rolling, dude. You are absolutely rolling. So, um, you know, kudos. Keep on keeping on, as they say in my my generation. So uh, absolutely. Thank, thanks to you, and thanks to all of our uh, our listeners, supporters. We're nearing, I think, sixteen thousand downloads now. So um, it's all thanks to you, um, and I, you know, really appreciate your loyalty and support. Um, and I appreciate the feedback you're, you know, always providing at WBJ Mitch on, on Twitter and on revengeofthebirds.com. Until next time, may the red rain shower down on you into the red, red sea. Red rain. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.